Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. Our guest this week is Liam Martin, founder of Time Doctor, an application to help remote businesses track and manage their time. As well as building a business that surged in popularity during the pandemic, he also had his first child around the same time, right in the thick of it, about 18 months ago. In this episode, you'll learn about leverage from an executive team, how the future of work could drive the future of education, and discipline as a path to freedom. As always, it's great to hear from you all, so do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at StartupDadsPod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santharasenan, and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. So delighted to welcome Liam Martin to the show. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to be here. As we were talking about before, when you guys pitched me for Startup Dads, I had a very new dad moment, which was my daughter, 16 months old, and I still don't necessarily see myself as a father because it's just so new for me. And then I thought, startup dads, oh, that's not for me. And then I almost had this like click of like, wait a minute, no, I am a father. That is for me. I should really, I should go on this podcast. So I'm happy I'm here. Well, we're super excited to have you. I'd love to hear a little bit about your life when you went up from Startup Guy, obviously the founder of Time Doctor, a startup that must be absolutely racing. We'll come on to that. But then your little girl came along. So talk to me about how life changed when you became a startup dad. Sure. So I think as well, I was adding in the issue of the pandemic. She got pregnant in October or November, and by January, I was sitting on a roundtable discussion about remote work, and there was a representative from the WHO on that panel. And I messaged that person, and I said, uh, so how bad do you think this is actually going to be? And he said, oh, well, horses out of the barn. Uh, it's going to be pretty bad. And I said, define bad. Like, most startup people, I need quantitative measures yeah, that apply to what's happening. And he said, probably about 10 million dead. And I just was shocked uh, from that. And now we know the reality of that situation, which is obviously that it occurred. So I started to get very scared very early. And being a new prospective father, I was trying to figure out what the heck to do In April, we thought that maybe we'd be giving birth in a military tent somewhere. We ended up actually, or my wife ended up giving birth in July, which was a perfect time for COVID because there was a lull throughout the summer. So it was relatively easy. But I really came from a perspective of a guy that was working probably about 12 to 14 hour days. And now I work about eight hours every day. But it was the right decision for me to be able to work 12 to 14 hours a day. I am growing my business slower because I'm working eight hours a day. If I had come to myself three years ago and I had said, Liam, you're going to not want to work at all. You just want to take care of this kid because it's super fun to be able to take care of, of your kid. I would have said, no, you're crazy. This is my focus. This is my discipline, right? This is what I want to do with my life. And it's... It's mind-blowing how quickly that just kind of changes. Within the first six to eight weeks, I remember this 
little human animal. <laughs> uh, and I remember the very first time that she smiled at me. And that was when just everything collapsed in on itself. And my only goal was to be able to spend more time with my daughter. It's really great to have, this is one of the best things about the show, to have that founder honesty, because lots of people can't relate to the fact that if you've got something that you've built and you've made, you know, in your business and you love doing it and it's going well and there's more to do than you've got time for, you, that's what you do and you don't really give it much thought. And, you know, I think there are very few things that can derail a determined founder like that. A kid is one of them. Having a kid is absolutely one of those things. How did you make that transition from those 12 to 14 hours down to a, you know, a, a normal a normal human being's uh, level of workload? So a lot of this is also quite disingenuous as well in, in what I'm going to tell you next, which is I hired a whole bunch of people to be able to replace me. So <clears throat> I hired three executives that now do effectively my job. I have a VP of marketing, a VP of growth, and then a CRO. Um, that are doing the vast majority of the work that I was doing before. I'm still holding the CMO title inside of the company, but that's effectively in title only. Um, I am doing some work. I, I know that probably people that work <laughs> in the company here, oh, Liam's <laughs> not doing anything. Uh, I do do things inside of the company, like podcasts like this, as an For example. Sure. Um, but fundamentally, I've taken more of a backseat towards the day-to-day -day operations of the business. And going back to your previous point about what can really change you, like my business was my life. And now I would use that business as a human shield to just protect this child if any, like I would burn the business to the ground if it meant that Stella had an easier time in, in her life, which is really quite weird. I'm a little bit brainwashed. I don't really recognize who I was before I became a parent. I'm still coming to terms with that, to be completely honest with you. I'd love to be able to hear from the audience, you know, just even does that wear off or does it not wear off? Because for me, uh, it was just a, a, a flip where I can't even recognize who I was before becoming a father. Yeah, uh, it's funny you say that. I was asking someone who's just a, a good friend of mine who's just fallen pregnant with their third child. And I was asking them, you know, is it different? Like, you know, does the novelty wear off? And they're like, no, it doesn't. Because, you know, the ability to be continuously surprised with the great new things that your kid can do is something that really stuck with me. Mm. It's like, I often like, I often think, you know, well, you know, this is great. It can't be better than this. And then something great happens. Don't get me wrong, there's the days where the girl won't bloody go to sleep. But it's something that um, is really special and is, does motivate you and, like you say, drive you to spend more time reflecting and observing and being part of that. But I'm keen to ask, you know, one of the things you just touched on, you know, saying you've got more things to do, you know, things like podcasts and people talk about having a great exec team lifts you up as much as anything else, mm -hmm. right? So it gives you more of space to be maybe the ambassadorial side of the business. Is that the case? Am I putting words in your mouth or are you kind of becoming a little bit more of the figurehead? Well, and, and we also, with the pandemic, we had the greatest transfer of labor since the Industrial Revolution, which was remote work. Yeah. And our tool, Time Doctor, is a time tracking tool for remote teams. So it was a pretty intense time. I remember March, April, and May, I was working 16-hour days every single day. I was working and I was sleeping. 
Our goal is to help the world's transition towards remote work. So about a year ago, we kind of just looked at each other and said, I think we've accomplished the goal. In no part due directly to us. I mean, we helped a very, very small bit overall. But then what's the real mission statement of the company? We've had more expansion inside of remote work um, in the last two years than we've had in the history of remote work in the last 25 years. It's been huge. The data is very clear. About 40% of the U.S. workforce is going to work remotely forever at this point, and it was at 4% pre-pandemic. So we're seeing an exponential 10x jump in people working remotely, and the world is going to change pretty fundamentally, which, by the way, is a very good thing for startup dads and startup moms um, because then they can spend a lot more time with their children that they wouldn't have otherwise otherwise had. But I was working so incredibly hard because I thought to myself, this is what I've really been preparing for. The universe doesn't hit you over the head with those types of moments as clearly as I got hit over the head with that, which was, this is the time for you to help the world engage with and embody the mission statement that we've been talking about for the past 10 years. So you better work 16-hour days to be able to make that happen. So now a lot of the things that I do is uh, we have a book coming out in May of 2022 on how remote teams work effectively called Running Remote. We also have a conference that we've run for the past four years called Running Remote, which is the largest conference on remote work. I'm doing a lot of creative pursuits connected, as you had said specifically, to more the the media side of the business, the PR side of the business, because for us, we're recognizing that we really want to be able to see this movement succeed and see it sustained. The biggest advantage I see from a parenting perspective, and forget about actual just individual workers, but just parents, the biggest leverage towards your child's success, I believe in the 21st century, is whether or not you can work remotely, whether you can work from home, because the ability to have access to your children an extra two hours a day, three hours a day, is just gonna be monumental towards their personal development. Yeah, it's a, such a fascinating time for us, right? Where you think about the, the re-baselining of expectations for everyone. I think you're right. You know, parents, it's a, a critical one. I look back and wonder how on earth people did it beforehand, right? Picking up kids from nursery and all those sorts of things. You know, now I can be flexible and make that work. It's not an issue, right? There was a whole industry of people. I, I, I only found this out recently, wraparound nannies, right? Where nannies would be there at the start day, at the end of the day, just to make sure they could help manage that that time which was ah. often people commuting back and forth just to quickly go so that they could be ready to go and get their kids. And yeah, it's been really interesting to see the way the world has changed. But I'd, I'd like to pick up on a little bit for you, just to hear from your perspective, because you've clearly been on the remote kind of uh, bandwagon or whatever the right word is from way before the, the pandemic-induced shift. So were you working in a remote fashion, like pre-pandemic, right? You were just, you had a remote-operated model? Yeah, so we have team members in 43 different countries all over the world. We have no physical office. You know, no one really, I have a funny story connected to that. I had a co-working space, obviously, before the pandemic. And I remember this woman who 
was not very likable, to be completely honest with you, and I didn't like her that much. Um, she was very loud in the co-working space. And I remember she came up in front of my desk and she would have this trend of having very loud conversations right in front of my desk oh for some weird reason. And she was speaking to her co-founder and saying, we need to contact some of these bigger companies like Shopify and like Time Doctor. And she was <laughs> referring to local companies that were in uh, the city that I was located. I'm in Canada, so and Shopify is also located in Canada. And the man that she was speaking to said, you mean Liam's company? And pointed at me. And she had never even known who I was before that point. I looked up and I pulled my, you know, I pulled my earbuds out of my ears. I keep my earbuds in my ears so that people think that I'm working. Um, it's a really great trick to be able to just not pay attention to people. Obviously, this woman was very loud, so I could hear her no matter what. Um, and I said, hmm, what? And he said, Liam's company, Liam's company, is, he's the co-founder of Time Doctor, the company that you're talking about. And she was just shocked that this company that has, you know, hundreds of employees all over the world would be co-founded by a guy that's sitting at a little table, right, in a, in a co-working space somewhere. And the reality is, is that this is going to be the future of work, fundamentally. Um, we had spoken beforehand about GitLab just going public before we jumped onto this call. And Dimitri's a, a good friend and an alumnist of Running Remote, the conference that we run on remote work. They have a multi, multi-billion dollar company. I can't remember what they IPO'd at, but I think it's a $10 billion plus valuation. And these guys have no offices. They have no physical location, right? Their organization exists out of the ether. It is such an amazing business model. And it is, in my opinion, the future of hyper-growth companies. I believe that within the next 10 years, when you look at the S&P 500, more than 50% of the S&P 500 will be remote because it's not an issue of an employee perk. It is a more efficient business model for the operations of your business, but more importantly, your life. The pandemic, even though it was horrible, that silver lining just allowed everyone to be able to recognize that. For sure. When you look back on it, you think we've had this technology for ages, right? And to some extent, it's just taken something like this to catalyze the realization of, you know, the fact that actually we could use it and make it work. Yeah, the, the issue, and, and I've been thinking about this for a very long time, it is the institutionalization of the framework of work that we had pre-pandemic. So that's a real core component of the book that that we're putting together. And even though it's called Running Remote, another title that we wanted to use was Async. So most successful remote businesses run on an asynchronous management model, meaning right what we're doing right now is we are communicating synchronously. So I can talk with you and you can speak with me, but it requires us both to be present inside of this moment. And the person that's listening to this podcast is listening to it asynchronously. They can't necessarily jump and butt in and say, hey, I have a question, but there actually are ways of them doing it. And uh, they could write a comment, they could send me or you an email, they could post on social media and ask me a question. So this is the model that most successful remote companies run on. And that is the switch that everyone needs to recognize that 
remote work is not just recreating the office remotely. It actually is a very different methodology. And once you have an asynchronous management model loaded in, life becomes so much easier. You can, you can answer emails at three o'clock in the morning if you want to, or when it's most, it's most enjoyable or most advantageous for you, because you don't necessarily have to be present at 9 p.m. to be able to jump on that meeting. I always use the analogy of, um, I don't know if you ever saw Friends, the television show. For sure, yeah. But uh, Friday nights at 8 p.m., Friends would come on. And if you missed it, you missed it. You know, you had to buy the DVD pack to be able to actually watch Friends. But now we actually have an asynchronous version of Friends, which is Netflix. Netflix um, yeah. You can consume that information whenever you want. And we do this in so many different aspects of our lives. Why wouldn't we do it in the biggest part of our lives, which is work? And that's the thing that I think is going to be actually a much bigger wave than remote work in itself. For sure. The synchronous, asynchronous thing is something we're talking about a lot at HX at the moment, about how synchronous, how effective a synchronous remote business is versus an async remote business. And, and actually, to the extent that actually how effective a synchronous co-located business is, because parts of our business, you know, our clients are, are like to work face-to-face -face and we've got a little a bit less choice that we have there. Yeah, the, the big part when I talk about asynchronous mindset and asynchronous management philosophy is not to necessarily state we don't communicate synchronously. We do. Yeah. But the big difference is when you lived, when everyone went to a physical office, it was, an, it was a synchronous buffet because yeah. everyone has a sunk cost of driving in an hour and a half to one single location. And when you're in that single location, well, you might as well collaborate as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm. But remote companies have recognized that you can collaborate and you can communicate synchronously as an a la carte model because it's literally just a turn on a Zoom session and everyone jumps on video and has For a sure. conversation. So why not minimize that as much as humanly possible so you can maximize what my friend Cal Newport calls deep work, which is really, if you can get your team members, you can get the vast majority of their workday into a state of deep work or flow state, as a lot of other sociologists will talk about, that is the real key towards overall productivity inside of your business. And that's what most remote companies I've already actually figured out. They've been doing this for the past 15 years. Uh, and that's the big piece. It's not about whether you use Zoom. It's not whether about you know how you use Slack or, or whether you have um, virtual pizza parties or whatever it might be. It is quite literally just removing barriers of distraction for your team members to be able to execute on what they need to execute on. Yeah. So I want to take that and as the show Startup Dad, so I suppose the question that I really was really keen to ask you was about what you think about the future of remote education and whether you, whether you see the same sort of principles that apply to work apply to schooling because one of the things that mm. lots of people are talking about particularly I, I see it less so in the UK but I, I read and see a lot in North America is about homeschooling about unschooling you know about things and I'm really interested to hear your take about actually whether you whether we will see the you know the the future of education if you will shift towards this model as well what are your thoughts there when I was in uh, the eighth grade I really concretized my desire to be an entrepreneur through a very special program that I had at school, which was I was brought out of school for one month 
And this was a pilot program that was actually shut down later, which I was really unhappy about. And, and if later on in another or in another life, I'd love to be able to commit a large chunk of my life towards this type of pursuit. Uh, the goal was from the ground up, you come up with a business plan, a menu, you get a venue, you get branding, you do your marketing for a restaurant. So you get into a team of four to five people, and for that one month, you do everything that you possibly need to do to be able to launch this restaurant. And at the end of that month, you had a presentation in front of 30 different restaurateurs, and then they would actually tell you whether or not your company would succeed or not, your restaurant would succeed or not. And that was amazing for me, and it really gave me, for, that, for the first time in my entire life, I wasn't given a box to exist inside of. I was told, go approach a problem as opposed to here, I'm going to teach you how to solve an issue. So it's kind of just a, a little bit of a different perspective on it. Now, I wish that more of that learning existed inside of the education system. Most education is built for workers and not for entrepreneurs, which is really unfortunate because entrepreneurs are probably, well, they're under 5% of the population. So it doesn't make any sense to be able to build schools specifically for entrepreneurial type people, but they don't work very well inside of the education system en masse. With regards to just children and where I see the future of work, I spend about six months out of the year when it's not pandemic, in Bali or in Costa Rica or in Mexico, I'll choose one of these great locations and just spend the winters there because uh, winters in Canada are horrible. And one of the things that I'm looking for, and I wish someone would build this, um, and if I get super frustrated, I very well might build it. <laughs> Before the pandemic, there were about 5 million digital nomads around planet Earth. Right, The vast majority of those people were not actually um, parents, so they were young people. Mm. But now we're actually seeing a pretty significant shift. And I think that, and a lot of the data that I have is backing this up, we're probably going to see about 50 million people post-pandemic that are going to be digital nomads. But one of the issues is the education system. So there's a really good school in Ubud, uh, Bali called Green School. And they have, I think they're under the American education system, the American International School. There needs to be a framework that I can bring my child to any city on planet Earth and exactly the same education system will be available in every single one of those cities. And I have no problem paying ridiculous amounts of money for being able to have access to that type of education most importantly, it actually has to be the same curriculum, regardless of wherever you go. There are a couple international schools that do this, the French school and the American school, but up until right now, they are really few and far between, and they're not necessarily available everywhere. So I would love that startup to exist. I would be your first customer. And I do have some friends of mine in green school, I believe the cost is about $50,000 a year, and it's mostly just international students. There's money to be made inside of that system. You need that type of curriculum to be transposable everywhere on planet Earth, and currently that doesn't really exist. That would really take those 50 million digital nomads and move it to half a billion people. 
you're absolutely right that you know the trend is only going to go in one one direction, right? Uh, and uh, the good thing about the startup world is, as you rightly say, someone will be frustrated enough and go and do it. I have a friend of mine, uh, and he was asking me, he lives in San Francisco, he works for a very, very large technology company that you probably use every day, um, that's as far as I'll go, and he makes about about 400 grand a year US. He's an engineer, and he's currently working remotely. He asked me, you know, this this digital nomad thing, this traveling and working thing, is this, you know, legit, like... What is the actual cost for, you know, a villa in in Bali, as an example? And I said, well, you know, the place that I have is about $3,000 a month. And it's like a five-bedroom villa with a pool and, and it has its own maid service. He said, $3,000 a month? I have a two-bedroom in the city and I'm paying $11,000 a month for that two-bedroom in the city. Yeah. And I said, yeah, you're getting ripped off. Like, <laughs> you should probably. And the guy left. The next week, he said, hey, dude, I'm in Bali. Uh, can you connect <laughs> me with some places that I can check out? And he's been working there for the past nine months, even though he's not supposed to be working there. He's still technically working out of California. Uh, so this is happening, and this is, and, and I actually think the next 24 months is going to be the age of the rich, dumb nomad. Um, the person that just comes in and says, oh yeah, well, I was paying $11,000 a month for a two bedroom in Bali, or sorry, in, in San Francisco. So even though the price is $3,000 here, I have no problem paying five or six. And you're going to see a huge expansion mm. of those digital nomad hotspots. The, the people who have historically been digital nomads, which have been relatively poor individuals that aren't making that much money and they're doing social media, marketing, that kind of stuff, they're really going to get pushed out of the market and you're going to see a much more evolved digital nomad. And how do you, I suppose, one question that I'm always interested to talk to remote work kind of people who are all in on remote work is how do you feel about the kind of socialization aspect and, you know, the serendipitous interactions, which are the famous things that people talk about, particularly when you're a kid, right? And the spontaneity of exploration and learning and interaction. Do you have fears or concerns on that side or do you think it can work all the way through for kids as much as people working remotely? So I think that a lot of that is pretty hyperbolic when you look at the reality of the amount of those those chance conversations in front of the coffee machine. There are other ways of doing it. I can give you a few examples. We do once a week. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but we have Oculus Quest headsets. Oh yeah, and cool. we meet in virtual reality and we we play games there and we actually get everyone an Oculus Quest headset as part of their onboarding experience because we really see kind of like a metaverse type of environment where we see that being a place where you can have more nonverbal forms of communication than you can just on video. So I can see how tall you are if we met in virtual reality. I can see how your hands move in virtual reality. I could see various other aspects of just your personality that just come out of your body movements as opposed to you sitting in a chair. Mm -hmm. So we work on that and that helps with some of that serendipity that you were talking about. But we also meet once a year <clears throat> at least. So me and my co-founder, we meet every quarter and our entire company, we meet once a year and we kind of have a conference about the company 
for a week. And that's where we get a lot of those ideas that really kind of come out on paper. They, they, they present themselves there or they've already been kind of in the wings and then we just present them and, and discuss them. And then outside of that too, we obviously do our Zoom meetings um, that we do weekly. A lot of that stuff kind of comes out there. Um, a lot of it comes out asynchronously. You'd be amazed at the creative pursuits that can be communicated inside of the comments, inside of an Asana task or inside of a Basecamp thread. So there is absolutely, if you are a very, very small startup, let's say below five people, I would say there's a huge advantage to that serendipity because effectively everyone is part of the founding team at that point. But once you're at 30, 40, 50 people, the remote model makes perfect sense because hiring someone in in Lahore, Pakistan, as an example, who's a fantastic engineer, but you wouldn't have hired that person because they're not in London, as an example, is a real detriment towards your overall business model. And other companies are going to come up and eat your lunch. Yeah, for sure. We're already seeing that, right? And I think the, the, the reality of the situation is that companies aren't going to go back from that. I've read a really interesting uh, article. It was an anonymous one for, about some CEOs who say, well, it doesn't matter. We've got remote employees now, right? So we're a remote organization, you know, and once you've got that, you know, you want to lean into it and take advantage of it. You don't want it to be something that sits on the edges and your business is straining against it. The Great Resignation, which I think probably you've been seeing in the news um, sure. quite recently, in the month of July more people quit their jobs in the United States than in the, in the entire history of the United States. Yeah, it's nuts, isn't it? And the biggest reason why they quit, 89% of people surveyed said it was because they were being ordered back to the office and they're going to go find a job that's remote. They want to continue to work remotely. What are you doing, companies? Like, if your people are leaving, you need to keep those people. And and we're already starting. I was unsure about six months ago whether or not the remote work movement was really going to take hold. But just recently, last week, PwC, one of the mm. top three uh, accounting firms in the world, said, hey, we're remote forever. Three days later, Deloitte <laughs> said yeah. they're also going remote forever. And all of the dominoes are starting to fall because they're recognizing an accountant at Deloitte is saying, why should I keep working at Deloitte when they're not giving me my remote work agreement and I can just jump over to PwC, they'll happily take me probably for more money and I'll be able to get exactly what I want. So I think we're going to start to see those things really ratchet up probably next spring where we're going to see a lot of these companies say, hey, we've experimented with this hybrid model, this quasi-hybrid model, but we're realizing, man, if we're forcing people to come back inside of the office, it's probably not going to be very good for HR and our recruitment challenges. So we've just got to go remote. It's not an issue of whether we think it's productive or not. It's an issue of survival. Yeah, and that's a really good uh, critical insight. It doesn't really matter, actually, what your opinions are on the efficacy or productivity of remote work. The societal attitudes have changed and you have to roll with that. I'm delighted all these companies are forcing people to come back to the office because it's giving us a really massive opportunity to hire. Right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's definitely one person's challenge is another person's opportunity. When we were fully remote, I found it incredibly difficult to have a start 
at an end to the day. Some people are super flexible. They'll just take an hour off in the middle of the day to hang out with their child. Some people are like, well, I start at eight and finish at four, eight and six, whatever. It doesn't really matter the times. And I have hard boundaries. Like, how have you managed that split uh, and uh, prevented it kind of everything blurring? When you've got this, as you say, this thing that you care about so much, quite frankly, is always the default priority if they're in the room, right? Sure. Well, so I have a bit of a Pavlovian trigger uh, first off, which is Time Doctor. So when I boot up the desktop application and I'm currently working on podcast with Startup Dads is the name of the task that I'm currently working on. And I've been working on it for about 42 minutes right now. So I have all of the tasks that I need to do at the beginning of my workday. I put them inside of my Time Doctor and then I just start cracking them out. But More importantly than that, the moment that I start that task, I really kind of say, when I'm working, I'm working. When I'm tracking, you know, my own time, I'm I'm at work. It's really important to divide your social space from your workspace. So I have an office in my home, and the office has a door. You cannot come in to my office. And the same thing with my wife. She's at the other side of the house and she has an office. I have to knock on her door before I come in. And it's really important that you create that very, very clear division inside of of your life. Otherwise, your social life will bleed into your business life. Uh, There was a, a really good business coach that actually gave me a really good piece of feedback, which is if you have a really intense argument with someone over Zoom when they work from home, they're not in their office. They won't go and bitch to their coworkers. They'll go and bitch to their wife or husband about you. Uh, and yeah. you really need to be able to make sure that you're creating a bubble between those two worlds so that you have the ability to say, I'm going to sit down and this place is only for work and the rest of my home is where I socialize. That's the number one lesson. The second one, as it applies to parenting, I've done a lot. And again, this is a little bit disingenuous. I've solved a lot of these problems with money. You know, I have a nanny that works for us and can take care of of Stella. My wife is also an entrepreneur, so we both run our own businesses. And if the nanny is necessarily is running into too many problems inside of her workday. She also has a, uh, and I can't remember the word in in English, it's in French, it's in Galdari, a daycare uh, as well that we can have access to. So we've got a lot of these different pieces in place to be able to make sure that we actually have the time to be able to work productively. But the first six months actually of baby Stella living her life, we didn't have any of that. And we really had uh, an exchange where I was working effectively a nine to five. So I had a focus hours from nine to five. And at 5 p.m., the baby was literally dumped in my in my lap. And then my wife went and worked from five until 10. Uh, and she would work throughout the nine to five workday, but she really wouldn't be able to have the focus that I would have during my nine to five. And I would work a little bit from five to 10, but not necessarily have the same focus. Um, So it can be done in other contexts, but I would say probably the biggest cheat code for me has been just being able to bring in professional help uh, because I can afford it to be able to make sure that I'm able to accomplish my job. And then when I wanna be present with my daughter, I can be. Awesome. So Liam, Final question before we wrap up. 
what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to Stella and any other future kids? I can't remember where the quote comes from, but discipline equals freedom is the biggest lesson that I can teach an entrepreneur or just anyone in life. The ability to be disciplined gives you so many opportunities throughout your life that you just are not even close to recognizing because the ability to get your brain up and to do something even when your body doesn't want to do it, that repeated practice is what is going to divide you from most people that are relatively unsuccessful in life. If you're talking about people that are the top 1%, they're all incredibly disciplined people. And the practice of discipline is something that I try to implement every single day and something that I'm trying to teach to Stella. Yeah, it's an absolutely amazing truism. And it's something I want to put on the walls at HX, actually, because I just think it's one of those things that is just, it's a motivator that that discipline is the path to freedom, isn't it? Absolutely. If I haven't seen that you've worked retail, worked in the military, or done something like door-to-door sales inside of your resume, I generally won't hire you. The reason why I don't hire those types of people is because I don't see that direct example of discipline. When you work at McDonald's for a year and for minimum wage, man, you can do anything. When things get really tough, those are the people that get calmer. And those are the people that you want around you because in a startup, things will go south a lot. And you need people that are just going to be able to be calm and go through their job with discipline and focus. For sure. And I think that is an absolutely cracking way to wrap up. So Liam, thank you so much for coming on the show. How can we find out a little bit more about you and Time Doctor? Timedoctor.com is a great spot to check out Time Doctor. You can try out a 14-day free trial there. And if you're interested in going to our conference or just learning more about it, it's runningremote.com. And then also, too, all of our talks are open source. So we publish them on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash runningremote. If you want to see someone like Dimitri, who is uh, one of the co-founders of GitLab, they just went public. One of his first ever public talks is on our YouTube channel, which is uh, really good content. That's super great. And I think, yeah, never been more topical time to learn a bit about the sorts of things that your team are doing. Brilliant. Well, let's, let's wrap it up there. Liam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at StartupDadsPod. 